Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Uh, greetings and welcome to Capital Weekly's regular podcast. I'm joined by Tim Foster. Hello. And our special guest today is Jeff Randall of Randall Communications. Hello. And we're going to talk about several things today. I think first I wanted to talk about your new digital influencer survey. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it? Yeah, digital influencer report. It's something with, we're on our third year now. Uh, this started back in about 2016 when we recognized and saw how social media specifically Twitter, was really changing the way that this town was operating on a daily basis. And keep in mind, you guys, I go back to the early days, the 90s, when there was Squawk Box on the desk, and you got your morning. Remember those? You remember Squawk Box? I know, a couple of us remember the Squawk Boxes, and you flip the channels, you get KFPK, and you waited in the morning for your morning clips. You got your eight and a half by 14 morning clips that got delivered about 8.30. And before then, you didn't know what was going on in the world other than what you saw on TV. The reporters and, didn't have any clips delivered to them. Yeah, yeah. We, we were the only <laughs> ones that did in the governor's office. That's right. We had clips coming to us. But you really, that was an anticipated moment to get those clips and run through them really quick and see what was in the news that day. That was the first time you got a sense for what was happening statewide in the coverage of the governor and candidates and and uh, members of the legislature and everything. And fast forward to now, so that's, that's the way it used to be. And when I was in the governor's office, we'd do a press conference. Mm-hmm. The yeah. press conference would happen. You'd do the press release. Maybe you'd go around the state and echo that. And then you'd have your surrogates go out. Well, now everything's real time, as we all know. Everything is real time. So we were fascinated as this was starting to change in Sacramento, especially as it relates to Twitter, and the evolution of this, how quickly it was changing. Uh, the fact that legislators themselves were responding to people on Twitter and you could get direct access to them without having to go through anything. It was A to A and B to B. I mean, you were directly at a member of the legislature. How much information legislators were putting out there on their own to to the universe, to their constituents, and to all of us that watch Twitter. It was really fascinating how quickly this was starting to happen. More so than, say, Facebook. More Absolutely. I think okay. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We always, we always distinguish between the two, which is Facebook's more consumer-driven, Twitter's more media relations, more stakeholder-driven. Okay. Well, and the algorithm on the two platforms is very different. Correct. At least as a, it seems to me as a user, Twitter is much more time-driven. And Facebook, God knows when something's going to show up. You could That's post exactly it and it'll right. come back to haunt you three days later. The, the speed is what really, have, as I said, going back to the way we used to and to the way it is now, the speed is just overwhelms me. So it, it's so fast, and the real time of Twitter is crazy. And what we were recognizing also is that people were putting so much information out on Twitter. I mean, there was just a gobs and gobs of information that you could get as somebody that's watching the legislature. If you're a lobbyist, if you're a governmental advocate for a corporation or an association, the volume of information you get on Twitter was remarkable. And what we were also seeing as new members got elected, they were more social media savvy and they were more Twitter savvy. So in each cycle you went through, more members were starting to engage themselves on Twitter. And right now, in our, as you'll see in our report, 117 of the 120 members are active on Twitter in various forms. But I would say half of each mm-hmm. House, Assembly and Senate are very active on Twitter. I saw some numbers in the survey comparing end of session tweets. Yes. 2017, 2018, 2019. 2017 was... 
about 8,900, and yep. 2019 was over 30,000. That's right. What was the end of session? Was it the final month or final yeah. two weeks? Final, final month. Final month. Final okay. month, yeah. The end of session, we had a 14% increase from 17 to 18, 18 to 19, 200% increase using the college hashtag. Yeah. And that tells you how much activity there is around, especially end of session. But one of the things we've also learned is that it never ends anymore. There's no downtime unless the legislature's yeah. out. Members are still on Twitter. They're popping stuff out. They're still talking to people. So it's 24-7, but you see a huge concentration at the end of session because there's just so much activity uh, over at the building. It, it's obviously having an impact at their end, at a legislator's end. Do you get any sense of, hey, they're on Twitter because they really like it, it gets their message across, they're getting responses, or does it sort of fall into a vacuum somewhere, or do you get a, a notion? I, I mean, I think our sense is uh, that, that most of them like it. Uh, and again, it's somewhat, somewhat generational, obviously, but you've got members at all levels. Sure. You'll see from our scores, some are way up there, certainly Gavin. The governor is a very Twitter-friendly governor. They use it a lot. He gets his message out that way. He's got over a million followers. It's amazing, you know, in a flash second, you yeah. hit a million people. And it's kind of unfiltered, too. I it didn't is. really realize this until Trump started doing this all the time. But it's a way of getting your message on going beyond and above the heads of whoever's in your immediate, you know, in the Capitol, for example, and getting it directly to people who are following you without any editing. And That's you right. Know. It's yeah. me to you. Okay. And it's right. It's, it's me to you. And that's one of the things, the takeaways we have in this year's uh, report is that as more people have started to get involved in, in using Twitter and those on both sides, both the legislators and those trying to communicate with them, you've got to be authentic because there's so much more noise out there right now. So some of these members that score really highly in our report are those that are really authentic. I mean, Lorena Gonzalez, when you look at her Twitter feed, there is no doubt Lorena Gonzalez is the one that's managing that Twitter feed. Same thing with Scott Weiner, who does a fantastic job. No doubt, really, that Gavin has a huge influence on his Twitter feed, too, because it feels very authentic to him. You don't want to have the you know corporate three sentences, period, feels like somebody's putting a press release on it. Uh -huh. I also thought it was interesting, if you looked at Twitter at, at Gavin's Twitter feed the other day, he broke down his State of the State speech in about 10 different threads on Twitter. So he got 10 different shots of quick things. Here's what was important in my State of the State address. Bam, bam, bam. Immediately out to his 1.4 million followers. That's how Twitter's being used these days. What was, he mentioned he's fourth? what was the fourth place? You mentioned Gavin was in fourth among Twitter. Yeah, followers. we have, uh, you've got the uh, Kamala Harris, Senator Harris, Schiff, and Pelosi. Obviously, their numbers increased because of impeachment. Sure. So he's fourth in the state right now from a standpoint. But as far as numbers. statewide, he's, he's the number one. He's by, by far. Yeah, by far. By far, the number one most influential And state. does he do and mostly policy tweets, or does he do, uh, you know, is it mostly budget stuff, or is it's pronouncements. Really, it's 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 a variety of things. Uh -huh. It's uh, budget. If he's doing the budget, he like I said, he did a lot on the budget. He broke down the state of the state into a big thread. Uh -huh. That's the that's the the chain, more recent change too on Twitter is the one forty to two eighty characters and the ability oh, right. to thread. You know, before you go one forty, that was it. So you had to be quick, thoughtful, and bam. Uh -huh. Now you can two eighty and you can thread. So the ability to be more detailed and the message you're yeah. getting out is really there. So when Gavin looked at his State of the State speech, they just broke it down to 10 bytes and went on Twitter with it. Really, really smart use of Twitter. You know, I found something. When they went to the 280, the the characters, it expanded. That was easier to do. It was yeah. much easier to tweet. But they also changed the chronology somehow. Because I'd see tweets that were at the top of, at least in my feed, I would see tweets at the top were two days old yeah. or three hours old or something as opposed to right there and right there. And I got used to having them right there. I like yeah. to see the, in, you know, 10 seconds, 15 seconds. Yeah. Um, 
I found that a little confusing. Yeah, it, it could be. That's probably your tech or tech geniuses in here can answer why that is. But I agree with you. I like the old way better. Yeah. But I also do like the ability to see more characters and a thread the way it is because you can get a deeper thought on, on somebody that I follow, reporters that we follow. I know yeah. uh, Myers was telling Kevin Riggs the other day that he likes it too because he can get deeper in his story. And he can actually yeah. communicate more on Twitter than he can in his story that he has to write for the LA Times sometimes because uh-huh. yeah. he has more characters. Yeah. So that's a really good development from that standpoint. The first thing I noticed about your media ranking was I wasn't on it. Okay, the second thing I noticed... <laughs> next year, we'll talk next year, John. Next year, next, <laughs> next year. year. There's always next year. Uh, the second thing was, uh, what is the uh, what is the measurement that you're using when you go... I know Carla Marich is one. Yeah. You mentioned uh, John, John Myers. Myers. Uh, Capital Alert, yep. um, but what is the what is the sixty seven fifty one fifty eight? What does that refer to? Yeah, that's a score that our partner puts together. We have a tech partners that yeah. Labs that puts that together for us. And it's based on a bunch of metrics, okay. followers, uh, retweets of your own stuff, the kind of content you're putting out there. Who are your followers? It's 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 like a metric developed to mm-hmm. say then and then that's how that score is put together. So Carla and John. Very active on Twitter, as you both know, but totally different active on Twitter. Carla with her political, more focused on the national. John is really focused on state politics and state policy. Both very, very good uses of Twitter, but that's how the measurement's ranked. There's a lot going on right now about uh, abuses on Twitter, yeah. uh, trolls, people who really don't have valid accounts or pretend to have all kinds of accounts they really don't have. Yeah. Uh, can you spot those? You're a pro, so is it easier for you to spot them? Would be that's, for me. That's way over my pay grade. Yeah, uh, no. Uh, I mean, our team. We've got a team. One of the, the changes we've made here at my company is that we've got a team of social media experts now. So they may be they may be able to do that. Uh-huh. I don't know. We're not. We don't deal with that a lot because we're dealing with the Twitter universe of right here in Sacramento. And some of that is not um, vote determinative, for instance. You know, we're not looking, we're, most of the things that we're looking at here are related to the, to the balance of work and politics in Sacramento. Sure. It's not a candidate trying to influence consumers to vote for them. So we're a little out of that realm. We're more involved in what's really draw the circle around the Capitol, stakeholders, legislators, lobbyists, and what's happening in that regard. So I think there's probably less of that mm-hmm. than there would be. Bernie Sanders, whoever, uh, getting sure. trolled on Twitter or whatever, yeah. Do you see a lot of Twitter, uh, social media work by the lobbyists? I, I don't see much myself, and I'm on Twitter, but do you see any of that? No, I, see, I see by the legislators that's different. They have oh, a yeah. bill, they're doing a policy, or maybe some. something got signed. But. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say some leg, uh, lobbyists are prolific on Twitter. Like uh-huh. Richard Costigan is really, really good on Twitter. Uh-huh. Really, really, really good. Jennifer Fearing's on it all the time. Jennifer Fearing's on it. Yeah. So I would say there's a, a level of lobbyists that are very active. Uh-huh. Then I would say there's a group of lobbyists that are very good about monitoring what's going on on Twitter because as a lobbyist, it's a gold mine of information for them yeah. to hear from legislators and staffers in real time. And then there's, I would say, a, a group of lobbyists that still haven't quite adopted Twitter as an important part of the advocacy mm-hmm. plan. And we, we're always constantly saying, and we have said this all along, there's no replacement for a good lobbyist. All They're, they're all really, really good over there, but, and there's a lot of them. But this is really important to their success now. In the old days, we used to say, hey, PR firms and PA firms are the air cover for your ground game. You, the lobbyist who's walking in the office, you want our yeah. air cover, you want our editorial support, you want our op-eds. You still want that these days because traditional media is still really important, but you also want the air cover of Twitter. That's a really important element that has come into the play now. Traditional earned media is still really, really, really important. And in people that have said it's dead as it relates to public affairs, way, way too early, premature death. Traditional earned media is really, really critical still in the advocacy process. But Twitter 
is increasing in its importance every single day, especially if you're targeting or, or looking to communicate with lobbyists or excuse me, with, with legislators that are really on Twitter. And like I said, about 50% of them are really active on Twitter. Some even controlling their own accounts and responding to, to constituents and everything. Is that nope. in the end? I'm oh. sorry, go ahead. So one question I have, uh, looking at your report, you mentioned how authenticity is being very important and, and this concept of the one-to-one, so the voter or, or person reaching directly out to the legislator. Now, what I find really interesting is that there are some legislators who will get way down into the weeds in the comment threads oh, yeah. and we'll be going back and forth. Lorena Gonzalez, perfect example, where she's just getting hammered on AB5 and she comes right back and you'll see someone that's commenting that has 200 followers. I mean, they're not they're not a bot because they have real followers, but they're also not somebody that's a major influencer, but she takes them very seriously in it sure. and, and answers her question. Do you, did your report give you any sense of whether or not that's overall a good thing to do, bad thing to do, it doesn't matter. Uh, because I think that some people, they really don't ever engage down in the comment threads, and other people that are on the influence, they certainly do. Again, Gonzalez Yeah, I think, again, it's, it's, it's kind of the individual legislator's approach to how they do it, right? If they were answering constituent mail before from somebody that you know maybe wasn't a big influencer, they're answering that person on Twitter now. It's just they're on it constantly, and I think that's one thing that it's changed forever in my view, right? Because every cycle, like I said, every new class of legislators become more adept at Twitter. So Lorena Gonzalez, what she's doing right now is really more of the future. So the question I think is, when you're talking about legislation and stakeholders and a, a narrow universe, Ari Flesher had a really, Flesher had a really good uh, tweet over the weekend about the Nevada caucuses, because was, there was a, a poll of uh, everybody that voted in the Nevada caucus. Now I'm talking about consumers, communi- communicating with vendors and consumers, which is much harder on Twitter. And only 17% of those that voted in the Nevada caucus had been engaged in Twitter in any way. So it's a reminder really? that when you're That's a lot lower than I would have expected. A lot lower. When you're talking to voters, there's a big difference. And I think the candidates, I think somebody on Kamala Harris's team said this when she dropped out. We got too caught up in Twitter. Because that's up here, it's opinion leaders, it's reporters, but it's not voters. But when you're over here, you're talking about a much more defined universe of people. So the importance of being on Twitter and responding is more important than it would be if you're talking about a broad-based election, for instance. When you have a client, you advise clients. This, the report reminded me of something that would be something you would say to clients. You've got yeah. to pay attention to this. 100%. If you have political clients, what do you tell them about the value of Twitter in, in terms of their campaigns or in terms yeah. of maybe an initiative they're backing or something like that. You have to do it. So you have to do it, but we still pretty much make the distinction that it's not vote determinative. I don't believe it is in most cases. It's how you drive the election at the higher levels. So reporters, stakeholders, the people that are watching that election, we do a lot of local ballot work. So the people that are watching that election and are really invested in it, let's say it's something on the local city council ballot, your Twitter strategy is aimed at those people. It's aimed at the city council members one way or there. It's aimed at people that might endorse your candidacy. It's aimed at donors. So you just, I still believe it's you narrow down that universe of Twitter in a campaign like that and you define what the box is that you're trying to communicate with. For the most part, you're not trying to get to voters still. It, it will become vote, more vote determinative mm-hmm. over time, but I still think at local elections, local elections specifically, 
it's all about that higher level stakeholders, reporters, influencers in an election than it is voters. Do you have any notion how many people are on Twitter and how many are not and whatever universe you're looking at? I don't know. It's like a wide open question. Yeah, and it it is generational too. I mean, there's no no question it's generational. Those older, not so much. I always hate hearing that, you know. I know, but it's reality, right? (laughs) I mean, you're millennials and... And I think it's even the reporter uh, crew, those younger reporters, that's all they've ever known is Twitter. And then those of yeah, us that have been around longer, we know before Twitter. But it's just, it's, it's going to, I don't think it's going backwards. It's only going to ingrain itself in every aspect of politics and public affairs more and more and more every year. And at some point, it will become more important to the vote process in elections. Right now, I still think it's, and I argue with my colleagues about this all the time, I still think it's at the higher level of, of reporters, stakeholders, influencers. Now, one thing you mentioned Donors. in the report is that Twitter is going to change their rules so that they have, if you're going to do an ad, it has to be statewide, and that will represent a significant change in strategy. Uh, do you have any thoughts on how that's going to work? Yeah, it's what going that's to be going interesting to- because there's been, for the last couple of years, your, your Twitter strategy has had two aspects. One is the organic nature and one is the paid nature. Um, and that they can complement each other, and we always advocate for both. We think a lot of people get lazy and they put up an organ- or they put up a paid tweet, and then they just put a lot of money behind it and they leave it at that. But again, that's almost in some cases it's like the old form letters, right? People know it's paid, uh, it's and getting, it's listed promoted, so you know. And he knows promoted. That's right. So that people don't dis- they don't distinguish. They don't may, may not take the influence of it as much as they would. So now organic is becoming more important, and as they restrict that ability to do paid. Organic is going to increase in importance even more. And I've always been a believer that organic is more important anyway because people take it more seriously. It's more direct democracy. So we'll see how that goes. But but so far, they've clamped down quite a bit. And we know in some of the stuff we've been working on, uh, you know, some of them have not been approved, even though it was very generic stuff. And we thought, oh, this would be easy. And no, so we're going to have to go back to organic. Do you use Instagram or Snapchat? Yeah, or yeah we do. Yeah, TikTok. TikTok? TikTok, yeah. not yet. Uh, uh, Instagram, yes, very much so. Um, and it's good for visuals and pictures. Yeah. It, it sends a little bit of a different message. We yeah. still think that one's a little more uh, consumer-oriented. Twitter's the one that we really focus on from the standpoint of advocacy with the building. Facebook's important, too, but as you said, it's getting clunky. It's getting crowded. The timing is all, all wrong on it many times. So I, we've always uh, advocated for clients that if you're doing in-district stuff, if you're trying to communicate with consumers more, your constituents. Facebook's not a bad place and to Facebook's- go. Trends quite a bit older than Twitter, does it, does, it not? Yeah, it Facebook does. does? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it does, and that's generational. Although I will say, I think Facebook may be making a comeback with the younger generation a little bit from seeing what I see with my friends and twenty-year-olds who, who swore it off for a few years because we were all on it, and now they're coming back to it a little bit. Uh-huh. I think I think Instagram is is way more popular at this point. Instagram is is a boom, and I think over the next couple of years, Instagram's in, uh, importance will increase alongside Twitter's, but Twitter's going to be way up here, much, much more advanced. Are there any downsides on Facebook uh, of recommending Facebook to others, say, to political people or to clients? Because it's had a lot of negative press over the yeah. last year. Facebook's yeah. gotten quite a few hits. Does that rebound to you at all or to I don't the think clients? So. No, no, I think it's more about is it a good use of dollars and is it a good spend or is it not? And is it hitting your target audience? This business is all about your target audience. If you're bleeding dollars to places that don't matter, it's not going to matter. If you're targeted and you're hitting the people you need to hit, that's the best use of dollars, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, or anything else, or TV or radio for that matter. And I'm not a real expert on buying Facebook ads, but the times I have done it, it seems like you're really able to drill down on your target audience. You can now. Like really, really... 
tight. That's a big improvement over the last couple of years. When we started buying Facebook back in like I think 2012, 2014, probably 2014, they could not narrow down on the universe. So you had some bleed in your spend out there, but they've gotten much better at the targeting. So it is useful on certain things, especially like I said, when we're looking at in-district type of influence. Mm-hmm. So if, we're, if we may have a public affairs campaign where we're trying to generate some momentum in a legislator's district, okay. Facebook is a good use of that. When we're focused on what we call the 121, which is Assembly, Senate, Governor, we focus on Twitter in the Capitol right here because okay. we think it's the f- most effective medium. And, you know, it, it's it's very cost efficient, too, obviously. You know, in the old days, you had to run TV commercials, you had to run radio, you had to deliver a bunch of press releases. Not that you don't want to do that anymore, but, but Twitter is extremely cost effective for a public affairs campaign. Therefore, what I said earlier, which is it's getting really cluttered out there because everybody thinks they can do it. And our big takeaway this year is, in 17 was, you have to do it. Now it's, you have to do it right or you're not going to be effective. Well, and that's one thing you mentioned. So the use of the hashtag C-A-L-E-G, you know, California legislature, has gone up 200%. My question is, did the use of that hashtag go up? And maybe there's not that many more tweets, but people are now more savvy about using hashtags. I personally have gotten much better about it. I was, yeah. used to be terrible about it. Yeah. So I wonder if there's I, just more people getting better about hashtagging things. Maybe, maybe. But I also think when you look at the volume at the end yeah. of the session, there's no question the volume is much greater. Because like I said, people found out, have found out they can communicate directly with those members. Those members are responding, and they can do it in a cost-efficient manner. I mean, think about that in the old days, having to generate letters from your constituents, get them, get a hard copy, walk it over there. Now you can pop something off. You can come up with content over the weekend, pop off four tweets on a Monday, and you know they're all going to get some kind of uh, – they're, they're going to probably be seen by that member or their staff or somebody with that member's uh, team. Readers do that too. You know, readers – comment on stories now not in the comment list some do a few yeah, do right but much more on twitter yeah if i'm all the time linked to the story they'll see a link they don't like or they do like and they'll they'll comment that yeah. way yeah you know? it's really ch- i mean it's changing the way that everything's happening over there and i think once we go through the 2020 cycle we'll have more legislators even probably that are more adept at using twitter and if you've got 117 out of 120 that tells you something you know and then you have yeah. the governor on top of that who's very active on it and very adept at it you mentioned in, in the report, you mentioned um, AB5. That was the big labor bill, the Lorena yep. Gonzalez bill. But um, the numbers were 28,000 plus, 28,288 tweets, 1.1 billion potential impressions. What is, I, yeah, I get the tweets, but what's getting, the billion you're getting, into my, you're getting into my tech staff now, okay. the guys that can tell you that they can explain. Yeah. The difference yeah. between an impression and a potential impression. I just wondered. Yeah, I wish I could answer that specific question for okay. you, but it's the it's the relation of how it's all. Sounds like a lot. In fact, it's a lot. It's yeah. a. I'll tell you that it's a lot. That's right. But my it, my tech team can walk you through exactly what that means and everything. But the the most important thing there, I think, is the volume. The volume, the volume on that one, and obviously on that one, you had a bunch of members actively engaged on that one. Lorena was really engaged. You had Republican members engaged. You had a ton of third parties actively engaged. Yeah and contributing to the debate also, as you did on SB1 and, and 1080, but not nearly as much. Well, I think even Warren and Sanders chimed in on AB5 on Twitter, did. didn't they? They did, yeah. yeah. So you had on, on five, you had presidential candidates chiming in. On a couple of the other bills, like 1080, you had uh, movie stars, Bette Midler, and you had Mark Benioff, a Salesforce CEO. You had Bette Midler, names. what's with Bette Midler? I saw that she was at the top of the yep. influencers. Because she was weighing in on that bill. Okay. And obviously she has a ton of followers. So when yeah. somebody like that, so that's another interesting dynamic we've noticed in the last couple of years. A couple of years ago, so you know, what's changed to now is that 
movie, they used to bring movie stars up to Sacramento and you'd bring them in, you'd let them testify in front of the committee hearing, right? And you'd get a bunch of press that day and everything. Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, it was big. And it was like, oh, Bette Miller's coming in town. You don't need to do that anymore. Because you get Bette Miller to throw out a, a tweet on something, it's just as effective or more effective than yanking her all the way to Sacramento and going through the drill, right? And you're telling so me that followers. Uh, Clint Eastwood just missed his window. He was a <laughs> too old to be a Twitter influencer. He, 10, 15 years ago, man, he oh, would have been, been solid gold. Think of that. Think of the and the, the other thing that's that's great about Twitter is the amplification of the message, right? I mean, yeah. if you send out a message like that, then it retweeted 100, 200, 300 times. The amplification of that message is crazy. That's really but, weird. That power, that exponential power increase, that. that expansion is really kind of weird. But we're not used to it. And then we'll do something, maybe a polling story or some data or something, and it go it gets amplification three four hundred times. You know, I think that may be the most important point. Really, is the amplification of something is that yeah. you can throw something up on Twitter, whether it's whether it's earned media or owned media, and the ability to amplify that message five, ten, fifteen times over is incredible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the other interesting kind of dynamic I think is beyond. Bette Midler and Mark Benioff and Elizabeth Warren, you've got these micro-influencers now, right? Like we cite Almond Girl Jenny, Almond yeah. Jenny in our thing, who is this, ba- is this uh, Central Valley almond farmer who focuses, she's only got 1,800 followers, which isn't, which isn't bad, but isn't unbelievable. And she's become very influential in the Valley on agriculture issues. And she weighed in on SB1. I just saw that she got invited to be on the stage with Trump the other day when Trump was in Bakersfield. I can almost guarantee you she wouldn't have been invited if she hadn't been active on Twitter and had sure. this established profile of who she is. And think of that, the, the, the nature there of her going from 1,800 followers to being up on stage with the president. And I'm, I'm sure her message is going to get amplified 20 or 30 or 40 times over now. You know, and so that ties to something else you talked about in there is the idea of going viral. Yeah. And so you say that humor helps. Things like, is yeah. there anything you've learned from doing the study about why something would go viral versus the millions and millions of tweets that, you know, get seven likes, three retweets, yeah, and then something gosh. else. I wish there was a formula. Certainly video usually is a large part of it. Something funny or humorous or cute on, vi- on video is certainly a, a viral moment. Uh, I think another, a person that's really good, I don't say viral, but just a good at using humor is Melissa Melendez. She shows up on the report. Huh. So Melendez, she uses humor very, very well in the way she, she crafts her tweets and everything. But, yeah, I think it's humor, it's video, it's cute moments. It's authentic moments, obviously. But, I mean, if, if somebody had the answer to when something's going to go yeah. viral, they'd be, of course. they'd be making a gazillion dollars, right? Because you never quite know. But it does seem to be a common thread of something human, nice, friendly. People are always so dogs looking. are so popular. Yeah, well, I mean, oh, yeah. yeah this, I saw this one of Dancing Baby yesterday, right? I mean, as it's, it's people are looking for something in, in all this crazy environment we have, they're looking for something to go, to go viral that they can agree on. The impact isn't necessarily measured whether it's positive or negative. Necessarily, it can be necessarily. either positive or negative. I, I don't. I think this was in response retweeting of the governor's forty-five percent positive, forty-five percent negative. It's That's a split right, right down in nine percent right. neutral. So there's one out there that we couldn't figure out. But, uh, <laughs> who is that? Yeah, who is that? <laughs> but does it? Uh, I don't know. Does it matter that much in terms of impact and effect of Twitter, whether it's positive, negative, or? Well, certainly you want it all to be positive yeah. if you possibly could, and and uh, you know, there's. I think 
the polarization of politics also plays into Twitter, obviously. But yeah, sure. the ability, I think, the overriding thing, the overriding ability to get your message out directly to a huge group of people that can amplify it is the most important thing. There's always going to be negativity. We'd all like to get rid of the negativity on Twitter. But the, the ability to amplify and get that message out above One. any other factor getting in the way or editing it or, or stopping it is, is hugely beneficial. You had a great example in the report of Buffy Wicks who got hit for yes. her support of AB5. And they said, oh, look at this person who's you know, a lackey of the unions. She turns around, retweets it and says – if you're just figuring out that I'm a union supporter, you're a little late to the game. And I thank them, that thank them for uh, pointing out that I love unions and really support them. I thought that was really a smart use of, you know, taking something that was negative and turning it around to your advantage. And there was really no doubt that that came from her, right? Because yeah. it was authentic. She referenced the tweet specifically. She referenced, hey, it was, it was humorous in nature, right? Look, if you just figured this out now, you got a problem. I thought that was an extremely effective use of Twitter. That's why we highlighted it in the report. Yeah. Also, Buffy helps. How many people do you know named Buffy? <laughs> if your name is Buffy, you're, you got a leg that up already. Helps in general. One legislator, right. one vampire slayer. That's about it. <laughs> um, is there any uh, any advice you have to somebody who's not familiar with Twitter and wants to get wants to start it up? Are there any suggestions what to avoid and what to do? Number one uh, advice: get on it. Uh-huh. Uh, you can. It, it's not, and I and I'm not in any way an expert. You guys, just look at you. I have, we have people here on our team that are really experts, but. I find it fascinating. Um, uh, if you're not on it, get on it because the volume of information is staggering. And you can control the volume of information. It doesn't mean you have to be overwhelmed by it. I don't follow that many people, but the people I personally follow are really good. And the stuff that I get from them is really informative and it's real time and it's to the point. And it's stuff that I'm not learning from another source, which is the most oh, important thing uh, to me. Because okay. I read you know, five or six different things every day. You guys do great stuff and the, 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 the accumulation of, of data in the morning is great. But you're learning stuff on Twitter daily by hourly that you're not learning elsewhere. And it's all real time. So I would say to somebody that just is seeking how this, the other thing I'll add on that too. Here's the other thing that I think is really interesting. You can go on Twitter and look at a member, and I'll use Scott Wiener for example. Within 10 minutes, you get a real sense of who he is. The way he, he's really good, because Twitter is also about storytelling a little bit, right? You gotta be careful not to be banging all over the place because then there's no cohesive message to who you are. Scott Wiener has a really great Twitter account. He's passionate about housing issues. And you know that from the beginning. He's also passionate about who he supports for president. But he tells a nice story. I was campaigning this weekend and doing this. I, I, I rode Bart here over to, to recruit some voters to do this. A really nice story. So after 10 minutes of looking at his feed, you get a really a real good sense for who he is. So that the type of information, what you can learn is ext- beyond just the communication of advocacy piece. It's an unbelievable amount of information to learn about legislators, the process, reporters, what the news is of the day, to get the news quickly, to get stuff that you're not learning from other sources. I think that's interesting about reporters. When I first saw them reporting on or uh, tweeting, they would talk about stories they were working on. Yeah. And usually reporters didn't talk about any stories they were working on. It was very competitive and very closely held. Right. And then you get tips about what they're doing and That's then right. leads about what they're doing and people they've talked to. And this is showing up in a Twitter feed. So by the time the story comes out that they're actually doing, it's a little bit of a letdown. Oh, I know about that. I knew it. But all I heard was a, a couple of tips and a couple of tweets. I thought it was interesting. There's yeah. a less concern about privacy in some ways. Yeah. I mean, reporters are still as competitive as ever, but there's more of a sharing. I think it's pretty cool. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least for me. And, and again, I think to that point, it, 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 legislators and staff members sometimes will report out on Twitter, this just happened in the committee hearing. This is just what happened. And yeah. 
the volume of information and essentially if you're hearing from a, a key staff or something, the insider information you're getting almost immediately is invaluable. So that's what's changed here is the, the volume of the information, the kind of information you're getting, and then the amplification of a message that you have on Twitter is really amazing. Well, on that upbeat note, I think we'll call it a day. Although I have to say one thing. We have to say that we're sitting here in the basically the best view. Yeah. Oh. Obviously the best view in Sacramento. We're going to have to take a picture of And luckily of this. we wore coats and ties today, yeah. so you know, <laughs> that, that's right. Exactly. Out. But yeah, just congratulations on this office, if oh, nothing thanks, else. You guys. <laughs> so. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about Twitter. We're passionate about it. Our team's passionate about it, and uh, okay. we're on it every well, day. So thanks, thanks John. And, and Kevin Riggs has been sitting here silently. Kevin, thank you very much. Happy to be here. There were only a few moments where he looked really pained. (laughs) And I was talking, yeah. (laughs) And this is Sean Howard and Tim Foster, and we'll see you next time around. Thank you. The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.